Richard Flansbaum, the son, I mean the father of Drew Flansbaum, passed away uh, January the 12th. There's not going to be a service, but if you know the Flansbaums, reach out to him. Drew was an only son, an only child, and uh, had sole care and was with his father when he died. Drew's a doctor, and uh, they're just, they're good people. It, it, it'd be good to say something to them. Dennis Piper's sister, Michelle Blattenberger, and Betsy's brother is Budabal. Wow. That's a bunch of Pennsylvania names for you. Really. <clears throat> but Dennis's sister died last week. I know that they went to the memorial service in Blairsville, Pennsylvania. Uh, Renell Gall, longtime Otter Creek member, um, passed away and was buried. Uh, I think Thursday was her uh, service here. And I, my my uncle, I, I, I was a uh, my father died when I was three, and I had one male role model in my life, and it was my uncle. He passed away this week and, um, in McMinnville. So it's just a, it's a tough time of year. I don't know why. It's just, it seems to be going around. Uh, I'm going to change this up just a little bit. Amy Welch, you have some news you want to share with us, don't you? Three of my children were baptized over Christmas. <laughs> I was going to pick on Chris, but since he's not here, I just went, he's, went with... He's driving one of his <laughs> Okay, so today we're going to just... Uh, I, I do appreciate the opportunity to to, to share with you Colossians. Uh, you know, whoever picked it, I think, did a good job because the book of Colossians is about one thing that we all ought to get right. I, I'm going to start sweating. I mean, this is ridiculous. I'm going to turn the stuff Hopefully it'll kick in. Okay. <laughs> but the book of Colossians uh, is about one thing, and it's about one thing that we ought to embrace, and nothing should get in front of that in our lives, is that, that Jesus Christ is the absolute supremacy and total adequacy that God has placed in front of us. It is Him. It's Him alone. There's nothing we can do we don't deserve it. There's nothing we can do. Believe. Believe that He saved us. That's, that's the whole message of Colossians. Thank you all for coming. <laughs> uh, the, the second chapter of Colossians is, uh, is kind of getting into the heresy. You know, when you say to an academic, what, and I wanted to say this too. Uh, what Lee Camp did today was tremendous. Was tremendous. Whether you liked it or not, it was tremendous. And a lot we of haven't been there yet. Sorry. And we're so blessed in this congregation to have these professors: uh, Mark Black, George Goldman, Lauren White, um, Josh Strahan, Josh Strahan, Josh Graves, who is a theologian. But these theologians that parse the word and give us their ideas every week, and I know of no other congregation, especially in Nashville, that is as blessed as we are with these people who, will, who are willing to share their gifts. Um, we ought to always be very thankful for that. <clears throat> so I just want to read, probably read the chapter of Colossians, and then we'll parse it together. Remember that Colossi is um, 
here at Laodicea, it's not even on this map. Colossae is 10 miles from Laodicea. And it's just a, it's a town, probably 30,000 people. Uh, but there's so many things around Colossae. This is Ephesus. I ended last week when I was doing my little timeline thing at 58 AD. So 58 AD is about when this letter was written. When Paul wrote it, he's in prison somewhere. We don't know where. It's either in Ephesus or in Rome. And he is writing these things because Epaphras, who is the minister at Colossae, goes over and he starts telling Paul, here's what we're facing. This is a bunch of great young Christians. And here's what we're facing. We're facing polytheism. They were raised in polytheism. We're 30 years after Jesus. 30 years after the crucifixion. Whether you believe in the way, the Odu, or not. 30 years after that, there are still people who are trying to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. I was raised in polytheism. Or I was raised in Judaism. And we know both of those camps are in this one little church. If I'm raised in Judaism, has anybody ever read the Mudhouse Sabbath by Lauren? Just Dave and I, geeks. geeks. What is the crux of that book to you? Uh, what Christians can learn from Jews. Okay. Yeah. The, what, what struck me about that was... She was a young lady, a literature student at Harvard or Yale, something like that, and and uh, she had gone to a Christian Bible study. She was Jewish, and had converted to Christianity, and she loved it. She was on fire for Christ. But you know what bothered her? Every Friday night at six o'clock, she felt a deep hole inside her heart. For the liturgy of Judaism. And she's like, why can't I do both? She missed going home on Friday night and, the, and the, all the electricity being off. No alarm clocks, everything unplugged, no television. The candlelights all through the house, the meal, together as a family. And that's what separated. Jew, it's what separates even today Jews from Christians. They take intent, there's an intentional liturgy. Every time Passover comes up, Jews get excited. We Christians do what? We think about Easter. We don't think about how we got from Passover to Easter, but we think about Easter. We're not as motivated in that response. In that, in that realm. I just think that to ask them to give up everything, both, both those groups to give up everything, and to look at Jesus as the only answer, it might take a letter from somebody as strong as Paul to give them something to think about. And I say this all the time, hear me deeply. Paul wrote... Well, he may have written Romans and Corinthians to everybody, but Paul wrote this letter to the people at Colossae, not to the people at Otter Creek. We have an opportunity to read that letter and to glean things from it and to learn from it, but it was not written to us. 
It was written for us. Okay? That's a good way to approach Scripture and approach what we're looking at. So, um, I like this one better because this shows the the topography. Um, uh, All these are the seven churches of Revelation, John's Revelation. So in 58, Paul wrote this. In 63, does anybody know what happened in 63? That ought to be prominent on your hearts. 63 AD. Nero crucified Paul. He crucified Peter. In 63 AD, we lost them both. And this young fledgling church, what's happening in Jerusalem in 63 AD? Anybody? It started. It's already started. The Romans are saying, we are sick up and fed of you Jews. And we're going to get rid of you. And they're already making it miserable on the Jews. So Jews are leaving in droves. We call that the great diaspora. The great diaspora. And so the Jews are traveling everywhere. One of them is, uh, they've spread out and they've gone over into Turkey. And this now becomes, let's see that other slide had Antioch on it. Antioch of Syria was the first place that became the head of the church. The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch, in Antioch of Syria. Then we go over and this becomes the head, the place of the church. Ephesus becomes the place of the church. Why? <clears throat> because that's where Paul was until Paul got shipped off to Rome and then killed. Okay? Then what happens to Ephesus? In 64, what happens to Ephesus? Anybody? John the Apostle, who, the disciple that Jesus loved, moved himself and Mary to Ephesus. And they lived in Ephesus for the rest of their life. You're shaking your head because you've seen that house, haven't you? I thought y'all had been to Ephesus. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. There's a, there's a house there that they claim is John and Mary's. But, you know, I don't even know if that's right. But can you imagine the conversations <clears throat> late at night <clears throat> when John and Mary are talking? I, I, John, I, I saw him do this, but I just never really thought it meant that. Can you believe that? And now it takes our brother Paul to explain it to all of us. Wow. <clears throat> Uh, anybody have seen? Anybody see the chosen? You see the scene where uh, Mary is talking to John, and Mary says, um, "Matthew's writing everything down. I think Matthew's going to print this, going to send letters and show everything that went on." And John says, "I, I think I am too." And and Mary said, "Well, you know." Uh, Matthew is starting with like a genealogy of to show Jesus from Adam on forward. What how are you going to start? And John just I think I'll start in the beginning. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Okay, I'm sorry for all the all those little things. With the resurrection of Jesus, the whole world has changed. A new reality has been unleashed. Isaiah 9 refers to that, by the way. 
And the whole world now feels it. Remember it said in chapter 1 that the gospel has gone throughout the world, has gone to the whole world. The whole world now feels the excitement. Um, new life is available to everyone. God wants reconciliation. You're invited to join God's new reconciling work, new creation. The cross is Jesus' victory. They've taken something that Rome meant as degrading and shameful and turned it into our victory. <clears throat> Let's read this first, chap- first part of this chapter. <clears throat> I want you to know how hard I'm contending that once again that word is agagon. I'm in agony for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not met me personally. My goal is that you may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You know, I told you last week that, that the polemic in Colossians is against Gnosticism. Gnosticism doesn't really show its face until maybe the mid-100s where the Gnostic, all the Gnostic writings come out. All the Gnostic writings were found in Nag Hammadi, Egypt. And that's where they have basic, were basically written in 150 to 200. So Gnosticism is just in its infancy. But if you want to see Gnostic language, hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Here, here's what they're saying. Well, I know Jesus is a good... He's a good... Last week I put all the... Uh, put Diana and uh, Artemis and um, Dionysius and Hermes and all. They've got all these polytheistic gods. I know Jesus is a, is a, is a good God. So they draw a little statue for Jesus. I know Jesus is a good God, but is He everything? And the Jews would say, I, I love Jesus. I think Jesus is the way. That, I think that's great. But man, I want to keep this right here. So all these hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. If we just know more. You Christians, that's great. But if you just knew a little bit more, how much greater would that be? We're going to bake it. Are we going to bake it? I'm sorry. I want to crawl out the window. (laughs) Just knock it off with a shoe. (laughs) I tell you that I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I'm absent from you in the body, I'm present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are, and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you receive Jesus Christ our Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted, thank you, rooted and built up in Him, and strengthened in the faith as you were taught. Okay. And overflowing with thankfulness. Be aware that no one takes you captive through hollow, hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spirit the elemental elemental spiritual forces. That word in Greek is stoicheia. Anytime you see principalities and powers, things of this world that that are out of control, that word is stoicheia. 
And that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Paul writes about that in all of his letters. Rather than on Christ. Here we get to the crux of it. For in Christ, remember I told you the word all, panta, is a big deal in Greek. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. I'll do this for my wife. John MacArthur says that the greatest statement of deity in all of all the Bible. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. In other words, when you look at Jesus, you see God. When you look at how Jesus acted, you see how God would act. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Completeness. So, when you accept I'm, I'm going this is a theological conundrum and I could get in real trouble for doing this so <clears throat> bear with me but just read it this is a text just read this text and see what I'm talking about <clears throat> when you accept Christ you have been brought to fullness completeness what else do you need to do? Anybody? <clears throat> if you've been brought to fullness and completeness in Christ, and I can take you to three other of Paul's letters and do the exact same thing I'm getting ready to do. That's it. That's salvific. That's soteriological. That's your salvation. When you believe in Christ, that's all. But Mr. Wilcher, don't you have to be baptized? My answer to that is, I've been baptized. Jesus was baptized. Baptism is to acquaint you with the group, to get everyone, everyone to see that you're a part of something. Amy, I can't. You probably could have this conversation with Drew because he's mature enough to have. But but this is what 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 we need the way we need to say it. Here's not the way we need to say it. If you're not baptized, you're not in. That's how we don't need to say it. I've been at other Christian churches that are very prominent, and they castigate churches of Christ for not parsing this. If you listen to any theologian talk on this subject, he will castigate those that doesn't parse this. Because what you're doing is you're making baptism a work. You can work your way to salvation if you just get dumped. Not the deal. The deal is believe and you have been brought to fullness and completeness. I'll pause now for anybody who needs to leave. <laughs> he is the head over every power and authority. Remember that word back here, storkeia? The rulers and authorities, the principalities and powers of this world. Jesus is the head over every power and authority. In, uh, here, here we're going to open another can of worms. 
in Christ, you know, Phil, you get to do uh, wives submit to your husband, so don't laugh at me, okay? <laughs> in Christ, you were also circumcised in the putting, and I'm glad I don't have that one. In Christ, you were also circumcised in the putting off of your sinful nature, not with a circumcision performed by human hands, but with a circumcision done by Christ. In baptism, you were buried with him and raised with him through your faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Because you have faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead, that's your salvation. That's salvation. Yeah. Okay, so in... in, in Don't that, stop me, Phil. I'm, try, I'm not going to try to. In that, in that passage in love, so when you're talking about this is being written to the church at Colossae, Correct. was this mostly people who had been Jewish first and converted? Don't or, know. So, so I guess I'm just kind of wondering from your standpoint, if, it, if he's talking to people who had been polytheistic before and had not had a whole lot of <coughs> association with circumcision as a part of their identity, right. I'm just curious how you think they might have received My personal opinion is it is mostly, mostly Goyim. Was mostly Gentile, right? Because I think the the Jews are just looking for. There's a word in Hebrew called embrea, two words actually, embrea, which means, and it was invented in 1948 with the the Jews that moved to Jerusalem. We have nowhere else to go. They're just happy if anybody will embrace them and allow them to live a decent life alongside them. That's embrea. So these Jews, I bet there weren't that many Jews, but even though there weren't that many, they constantly stir things up because they know more than anybody. Okay. Most of the time they do. But they're stirring it up. And part of the reason I'm at, circumcision is a relatively drastic physical action. It is. So the terminology would have a lot of weight to it. Okay. This is, I think Paul does this in three other letters where he compares circumcision and baptism. And he kind of wants you to see that he thinks they're kind of like the same thing. I want to show you why they're not the same thing. Circumcision is for who? Males. The males. So does that, mean half, does that mean the females don't get saved? If you're not circumcised, are you under the covenant? Here's the answer. If you marry somebody who's circumcised, you can get in that way. Or if your father and mother, if he was circumcised, you can get in that way. But no, you can't do anything. That's why when Paul in Galatians 3 writes, there's neither Jew nor Goyim, Greek. There's neither slave nor free and he says it this way, there is no male and female, but we are one in Christ our Lord. N.T. Wright, who has studied the Apostle Paul for 50-something years, he says when they read that in church, all the women went, oh, you mean I count? You mean I matter? You mean I can do so? I can now be baptized? Um, 
So circumcision is one thing. Baptism is a totally different thing. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of the flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins. This is one of my favorite verses. Having canceled the written code. What's the written code? Moses. The law of Moses. Having canceled the written code with all of its regulations, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So once again, what Rome meant as a shame and a disgrace is now for Christians, our victory. Our victory is the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, the stoicheia, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. Does anybody know what a triumph or waver it is? A triumph or root is a parade. So when Titus conquers Jerusalem, he conquers all the things he conquers. When he goes back to Rome, they have this big parade. And they parade him through the streets of Rome. Guess what he does? He has all the kings and queens that he conquered. And they're all walking in front with chains around their neck. And he makes a public spectacle of them in front of everybody. You know the triumph for way route of Titus in Rome, the, the big arch that you can drive under today, was created in 130 whatever, and it still stands today. And it shows up. Does anybody know what it shows on what what is what they carried out of Jerusalem to Rome? Yeah, the huge menorah, all of the serving spoons, the gold serving spoons, and all that stuff. Now, where is that stuff today? Where's what? Where's all that? Where's the golden menorah? Where is that stuff? It's in the basement of the Vatican. We need to rise up and go. <laughs> we need to bring all that stuff out. I'll guarantee you the Ark of the Covenant's down there. But it didn't shut. On Titus saying it did not show the Ark of the Covenant. But he shows all that stuff being carried to Rome. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or regard to any religious festival, a new moon celebration, or Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that are going to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. That's what he's saying about, about uh, Passover. That's what he's saying about Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Booths. All those feasts, everything that Israel celebrated, except with the exception of maybe Purim, everything they celebrated was about Jesus. It was a shadow of the things to come. The reality is found in Christ. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility or the worship of angels disqualify you. That angels thing is another faction of Gnosticism that we're not going to take time to do Such a person goes into great detail about what they've seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They've lost the connection from the head, who is the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died 
with Christ. When did you die with Christ? Belief. <clears throat> Belief, baptism, all that. Death. You put off the old person, now everything's new. The elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to this world? You submit to all its rules. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. What is that, somebody? There's a word for it. Who rules? Asceticism. That's asceticism. And that's another form of Gnosticism. People thought, you know, remember Lee talking talking this morning about Gnosticism? How many of you were in first day? If you haven't gone to service yet, you're in for a treat. But Lee talks about Gnosticism. One of the things, one of the things he talks about is, um, well, he didn't necessarily talk about asceticism, but asceticism is, Gnosticism is the body is the prison house of the soul. Uh, you've heard that Greeks don't like matter. Matter is evil. So the body is evil. The sooner I can put off my body, the quicker I can become a spirit, and that's that's nirvana. Okay? And it's really getting cold in here. <laughs> she has a <laughs> feels good. She has a one degree deal. Are you hot now? It's not me, it's the women yeah, in there. Yeah, I see everybody. They're afraid to say something. I'm not afraid. That reminds me of in high school, a professor that he kind of talked with a lisp, and he handed out a handed out a test. Uh, Mr. Stubblefield. Oh. He handed out a list, and Tammy, I think her name was Gillis or something, but she said, uh, when she got her test, she looked at, took a look at it and goes, Mr. Stubblefield, it's hot in here. And he looked at her and said, it's going to get way hotter, Tammy. <laughs> I don't know why I went there. Okay. <laughs> do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules have to do with things that are destined to perish. With use. They're based on merely human commands and teachings. Such re regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom, with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Um, I, I read a, um, read a diary of, of a lady who was in her 90s in uh, Qumran, which is where the Essenes live. And she was 90 years old, and she took great pride in telling everyone, I've never let a drop of water touch my body. <laughs> <clears throat> Chapter 1, Christ is King. Chapter 2, we are free because of the king. In chapter 3, women should submit, wives submit to your husbands. There you go. <clears throat> yes? Is there evidence that the Gnostics had access to this Colossian letter and that they responded to it in any way? Not that I know of. And, and once again, Gnosticism is only in its early throes at this point in time, even though Paul... Well, I'm talking about... I'm talking about uh, in 
Uh, you know, the Nag Hammadi writings, the, the Gnostics, seemed to overwhelm Christianity for, for a while. So I would say they made some pretty good arguments. So they may not have ever seen this content up from the fall. Okay, so, okay. What, how much time have we got in here? It's 42, 10 to 42. Three minutes, okay, three minutes. Okay. In 367 A.D., there was a guy by the name of Athanasius. And Athanasius did what? He gave us, he's the first guy to give us a list of all 27 New Testament books. Athanasius gave us that. And Athanasius has been on a 40-year quest there were other things, the Muratorian Canon Fragment, other things that had list, made lists. But Athanasius gave us the first, he was the Bishop of Alexandria. He gave us the first complete list. And you know what, you know what held him up? He could not find all the letters to, that Paul had written. You know, if you read 1 Corinthians, it says, in my first letter, 1 Corinthians 5, 9, I think, in my first letter to you, I thought this was the first letter. So we have 1 Corinthians 2, I mean we have uh, 2 Corinthians and we have 4 Corinthians. We don't have 3rd, 1st and 3rd Corinthians. We don't have, it, Paul says somewhere that he wrote a letter to Laodicea. Most people think that was a letter to Colossae. But he says it, so we don't, and we don't have it. You know how he found all of Paul's letters? He went to um, Ephesus. And there was a guy who became Bishop of Ephesus in like 112 AD, which is right along the timeline. And he went to Ephesus and he looked in his writings, Athanasius did, and he listed and had collected every letter that Paul ever wrote to anybody. And that's how that's part of our canon. Athanasius got it. You know what that guy's name was? Onesimus. And you know, Philemon, Philemon was a businessman, and Philemon became the bishop to Gaza. Paul was affecting everyone. The word was on fire and living in everyone. It was awesome. An awesome time. Anybody have anything? Who's the oldest? Who, who's. Who's been here at Otter Creek longer? Ready, go. It's between Mike Duncan and Gibbs. 79. You came in 79? Yeah. He wins. He, he wins. <clears throat> he wins. Well, Phil was born here. That's right. Well, what do you, how do you John, count that? Yeah. John? 73. Really? 73. So that's what? 50? Fifty. That's awesome. That's awesome. Hasn't Phil Wilson been here since 1970? But he wasn't in the spirit. <laughs> okay, we're done. Adios. Thank you.